I was looking for this mic. It's right here, I know. Hey, whose tennis shoes are these? They're mine now, okay. I'll put them right over here by the wall. In case you're wondering, I don't know if we said it or not, because I was in talking, um, Brandon and Julia are on their way to um, a softball tournament. Brandon's having this weekend, so they get a, a good time away together. They've, it's been a busy season for them, so be praying for them, just sweet time together. It's always fun just to be with your spouse and driving and by yourselves is a lot of fun. So, right, Christine? Yep. Right, Claudia? It's a lot of fun. So be praying that they get good rest and a good time together. Um, well, we are in our second message of, um, say what? Looking at difficult and misunderstood passages of Scripture. Tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. Before we go any further, a couple things. On the table, in on your table, are cards. I believe I'm looking at the cards. Do I see the cards on the table? Did we put those cards on the table? Not those cards. Hmm. Oh, there you go. Yes, Brittany's going to get these cards right here, and she's going to pass them out like a good school teacher does. Um. <laughs> And on these cards are two things. One, our groups. We're starting our groups uh, next month. Uh, Brittany's going to be leading an all-girls our group, um, meeting on Tuesday evenings. And then Christine and I will lead an our group on Sunday afternoons. Our groups, let me tell you about our groups. Our groups are, I think I said live before, but it's worth repeating. Our groups are all about helping us grow as disciples together. It's about getting together to pray, read, Encourage each other. When you go through a hard times, celebrate through the good times of life. Um, we need community. We were designed for community. Why? Because God is community. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so he designed us for community as well. So, you can mark that. Second thing is sermon ideas. We're doing the series, Say What? Um, you might have a passage of scripture. You say, you know what? I've read that. And it's difficult. What does it mean? If you have a passage like that, passage like that, Please mark it down, because you know there's no need for us to read Genesis chapter one. You know God created the heavens and earth. If you if you understand that well, so whatever it is that you're having a hard time, maybe you've said that just that's weird. What does it mean? Put it down, and we will address it. And then you can put at the end of the evening. I think Brittany's going to have a Brittany's going to have a basket at the at the back table. You can put your cards under there, and we'll grab them then. So, second next thing, Jim Mosier, would you come up here real quick? Jim Mosier is going to, um, he's our teacher for the ABF, which is going to start on Sunday. Yeah, I like this. This is first time, huh? Very first time. <laughs> so he's going to be meeting at 8.30 over in M5. You want to talk a little bit? Uh, I know you've, you've met the, the lead team, but you want to tell them a little bit about yourself and what you're aiming at in the next 90 seconds or less. 90 seconds or less to say everything about me, huh? Um, there's two words that come to mind, uh, simple and easy. Um, Michael didn't tell me I was going to get to come up here and say anything. 
Um, but when you stop and think, what do those two words mean? Are they the same thing? Are they very different things? We say those words a phrase we use a lot with our kids. It's simple, but it's not easy. And you'll find that a lot of life is like that, and that's what we're going to talk about. It won't necessarily be exactly like that. Um, we're going to start off with something nice and simple, like why did God do this? So that, that's where we are next week, and I'll leave it at that. And your wife's going to be in there too? That's the idea. So you get a plus. The, when Christine and I were first married, uh, we went to Jim and Jennifer's house, and they gave us one piece of marriage advice that has lasted for 25 years. So they are full of wisdom, and we all benefit from them. So I'd encourage you to be in the ABF when you can. And so Matthew 24, 36 through 51, um, we're going to be looking at focused faith. I titled it Focused Faith, Faith That is Focused on the Return of Christ. Focused faith produces faithful living. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Focused faith produces faithful living. Before we talk about that, let me tell you why we're in this series. We're in this series because I want you and I want myself to experience the most joy, the most freedom that we can have in Christ. And when we don't understand some certain text or we get some wrong, that can really pull back our freedoms. And so that's the purpose of this whole series, is to increase your freedoms and your joys in Christ, and so that you can also share those with other people. One thing important, if you learn nothing else in this series, it's the word context. Knowing the context of what is written or what is communicated is important in every area of life. Imagine you are, you walk in on the conversation between two coworkers, and one of them, you got the, you got the slide there? Oh, that's it. Oh, okay, we'll do that slide then. <laughs> oh, my slide guy, I, I must have messed him up. So you work two workers, and one of them says, hey, we're going to go to the, you hear him say, hey, we're going to go to the river tonight. What are you thinking? Well, if you didn't hear the context, you'd be thinking a lot of things. you think, well, we're going to go to a body of water that runs through a channel. Or you could be thinking they're going to a church. Or they're going to a restaurant. Or they're going wherever they're going to go. So if you don't know the context, if you didn't hear the, all of it, you'd be guessing. And you might get it right. You might get it right. If you walked into two co-workers who were Russian, and you heard them say, ah, Michael, he's got his sleeves pulled down this week. You might be thinking, what? Pulled down? Oh, this means he's really kind of getting at it. You know, he pulls his sleeves down. But what you don't understand, if you don't understand Russia or Russian heritage or Russia society is that's actually a, a slam because aristocrats and others used to have such long sleeves that they were useless for any kind of work. So pulling Michael pulling his sleeves down means he's useless. So context is always, always an important thing to know. And so if you, if we, if you come across out of the series going, you know what, I know better how to read the scriptures in context, that will be a win-win for the rest of your lives. So that's what I'm hoping. So 
Matthew chapter 24, 36 through 51, let's put it in context a little bit. At the beginning of 24, we learn that Jesus has just finished teaching in the temple. And he has come out, and his disciples say, hey, look at, look at the buildings around here, Lord. Look at this. And it, it, honestly, it's amazing. They're fantastic. Christine and I were there. It blows your mind how, how big, enormous the Temple Mount is. The, the, the stones they put on there, it is mesmerizing. And so they're mesmerized. They're mesmerized by, and they mesmerized by the buildings on top, mesmerized by the mound. They're mesmerized by everything. Herod was a wicked ruler, but he was a great architect. He was fabulous, number one. And Jesus says, you know what? The time's coming when none of these stones are going to be left on one another. And I can just imagine some of them are like, what? The place where God's name resides is going to be torn down? So they ask three questions. They say, okay, Lord, when will this be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And then Jesus begins to answer those questions. He says, you know what? There's going to be a lot of false Christ and a lot of false prophets that are going to rise up and they're going to deceive many. There's going to be wars, earthquakes. And he says, these are just the beginnings of these signs. And then he says... He goes, there's, there's going to be tribulation such that it's horrible, terrible tribulation. And people are going to continue to fool you and say, hey, the Christ, he's in, he's in the fireside room. He, he's over there at Rocky Hill. He, you know, he's hidden somewhere. We need to go find him. Come with me. And Jesus says, he goes, when I return, the whole world will know. No eye will not see me. Everyone will know I'm back. And you can just kind of maybe guess what the next question might have been. I mean, I've been saying, when? When? Can you, can, hold on, let me get my iPhone out. Let me put my date on it. When are you coming back? Is it, you know, September 10th? And this is what Jesus says. Matthew 24, starting at verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I think there's one common misunderstanding and one difficulty in that part of the passage right there. I think the misunderstanding that's quite often given is there's going to be two 
men in the field. One's going to be taken and one's going to be left. Two women, one taken, one left. I think what's often thought about in that verse, when we think about it, is if you've been a believer, maybe if you're a new believer, you might not be thinking this, but what's often thought about is that one person's going to be materialized up to the clouds with Jesus, or up to heaven with Jesus, and one will stay on the earth and go through a terrible tribulation. That's kind of what's really imported into the text. That's actually not what the text says when you read it carefully. When you read it carefully, just what's in the text itself, what it says, is like in the days of Noah, so will be when I come. Like in the days of Noah, when the flood came and swept everyone away, but what, about eight? When they swept everyone away, so will be my coming. Two in the field, one will be taken away, one will remain. Now think about it. When a flood comes, if you're taken away, is that good or bad? How many of you have been in a flood? Has anybody been in a flood, a flash flood? or you, know, you guys have a variety of experiences. Uh, if you're in a flood and it takes you away, pretty much, adios, amigo. Because water is a powerful, powerful force. And we've seen that in Louisiana right now, right? It just devastates. And the one who remains is like the eight who remained in the ark. So Jesus is saying, when I come back, there's going to be a decisive judgment. Some to life, some to death. That's what he's saying in that. That's something about his coming. It's like, whoa, okay. That gets our ears perked up a little bit. I'm sure it did the disciples. The difficult part is at the beginning of this. It blows my mind as a follower of Christ. Jesus says, no one knows the hour, not the angels. I'm good with that, but only the Father. I'm still good with that. But when he says, not the Son, then I'm a little confused. I'm just a little confused as a follower of Christ, going, but Jesus, you and the Father are one. You're God Almighty. You're the one the Israelites bowed down to. You led him in the desert. You spoke to him. You're God Almighty. How can you not know? And then I have to remind myself that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Remember Ephesians, not Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2, it says, he considered equality with God something not to be grasped, but made himself a servant, being made in the likeness of man. So he's like you and I. He took on some limitations. Can you think of what kind of limitations, as you read through the scriptures, what did he take on? What are some human limitations Jesus took on? He walked on water, but limitations. What, what kind of human needs? I should say that. What kind of human needs did he take on? He got tired. He slept in a boat, right? Before calming the water. What else? Pain. Yeah. Where did he experience pain at? 
on the cross. Absolutely, seriously, he experienced real pain. It wasn't. It wasn't Disneyland. It wasn't like he was like a movie hero, enduring it like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. It hurt. It hurt. What else? So he's obedient to somebody he made. Yeah. Had emotions. He was tempted. Thirst. He was hungry right after the temptations. So Jesus became like us in every way. And somehow, somehow, he limited his understanding. I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no, there are other things about God that I have no idea about. I have no idea how God can be from everlasting to everlasting. No beginning, no end. I had a beginning. February 9th, 1972. Uh, everybody has a beginning. Everything has a beginning. But God doesn't? That's crazy. That hurts my brain when I think about that. But what I can know about the Lord is this. Part of it's just through experience with him. He's kind. He's loving. He's true. He's faithful. So the things that I can't understand because it's beyond my capability, I have to say, yeah, I trust him. That's where it comes down to. And when we remove the difficulty of this passage right here, what we can begin to see is that Jesus placed faith in the Father. He'll do that again, by the way, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, excuse me. Where he'll say, it's not my will, but your will. Is there any way we can do this in a different way? And he says, ah, we'll do it your way. Faith. He shows us we don't have to know everything to be faithful followers. You know what Jesus did after this, after this lesson? He instituted supper, the last sup supper. Um, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us. He went to the cross, and he rose. He continued to do the work, even though he didn't know everything. And that's a model of faith for us, faith for us. Because God asked us to do things, and we don't know the end result of it all. We know, we're hopeful, but we don't always don't know the end results, do we? You know what? When a brother or sister sins against you, go show him or her Go show him or her their fault and win them over. That's a command. But sometimes it doesn't go well, right? Sometimes somebody gets angry, they get frustrated. Sometimes the Lord says, hey, you know what? Love your enemies. That might be your boss. That might be somebody close by to you. Love them. And our, sometimes our Disneyland Infused thinking things, oh, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to get them Starbucks, I'll get them uh, something from Dutch Brothers, and they're going to be happy, and we're going to just be great. Uh, we don't really know that. They still may be really, they still may be stinkers. They still may be rude to us. They still may put us on a shift that we don't want to be put on, quite frankly. But that's faith in action. We don't know the results. We don't know, have all the information, but we continue to follow. That's what this teaches us. Jesus is modeling for his faith. He says in this passage, the focus is 
stay ready. We need to be people who continually have our eyes on the return of Christ. He is returning for you and for me. And not only that, he has his rewards with him. He goes on in chapter 25 to say, hey, listen, today's the day of salvation. And he talks about 10 virgins. Five got in, five decided not to listen to him. Five didn't make it to the kingdom because they were late. Today's the day of salvation, he's telling us. But then he goes on to say, when I come back, I'll be like the one who entrusted his possessions to his servants. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask you, what did you do? What did you do with the things that I gave you? First, he's, what has he given us? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the ability to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. To tell them there is hope. That they can have a new life, a new destiny. We've been given that. Are we using it? Are we praying for opportunities? That's something maybe we need to start doing. Maybe we hop in the shower. Lord, use me today. Maybe we get a cup of coffee. Lord, this is great, but it's not as great as your word. Not as great as your gospel. Help me to tell people more about the gospel than I did about my coffee here. Ah, he's given you possessions. He's given you jobs. He's given you cars. He's given you the ability to help people. To love people with the things he's given you. Maybe they might need a ride. Maybe they might need something to eat. Maybe they might need some clothes. Maybe they might need some babysitting. I don't know. But beginning to ask the Lord, how do you want me to use the things you've given me? Because you know that he's returning and his reward is with him. That should excite you. That should excite me. That should excite all of us to say, okay, it's not for naught. There really is an incredibly gracious gifting coming if we keep our faith focused on the return of Christ. It will push us. It will inspire us to live like he's called us to live. How important is that? At the end, Jesus says this in 25. He says, um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's an incredible gift. You could inherit the kingdom. You could rule and reign with the Lord in a way that is, un, Paul would say, is unimaginable. A place where there is no, no sin, no effects of sin. There's love and righteousness, peace and joy. Using your gifts and abilities unhindered loving one another well, the kingdom. He's giving it to us. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So our faithful living isn't just done unto our friends. It's done unto everyone. Big, small, great, or least. That's how we live out a faithful life. Serving others. Loving others. As we've been told to love. Then the last, he says, which is very much a warning for us. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You're cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Got a little bit more to say after we worship with these next two songs. So be asking the Lord, be asking as we pray together, help me to live a focused faith. I'm going to focus my faith on your return so I can live faithfully. If you've read through this Old Testament, it doesn't take long to see that setting up visual reminders was a key. Do you remember that, Delinda? We went to Israel. Remember those stones? I can't remember what city it was in. It was like, it was our first night or a second day. It was, I remember they had those stones that were stones of remembrance, wasn't it? Yep, that's what it was. Thank you. And I think that's what we need to do. If we're going to have focused faith on the return of Christ, we need something to remind us that he is returning. We need to remind each other, but I think something, maybe to figure out something that will remind you, my Lord is coming back, and his reward is with him. And this is all well worth it, because one day I'll inherit the kingdom if I endure. Jesus will say in Matthew 24, he says, you know what? In those times, lawlessness will increase. Or, in other words, the ways of God will be moved out of the way. Right will be called wrong. Wrong will be called right. And he says, when those days come, the love of many will grow cold. If we don't keep focused, there are other things that will keep us 
We'll, we'll gain our focus, capture our focus. Sam, you got that, that last slide? Second to last slide. No, no, second to last slide. There we go. Sorry, is that the last slide? No, okay. <laughs> yeah, these are the things that can take us away. This, this can unfocus our faith. Dating, marriage, careers, education. You see all those things. Fame, money. It has, un, it has blurred the vision of many Christians. And there's many more, but these are just some of the most common. So, put something in your life. Maybe it's a stone. Maybe it's a picture of a cloud. Something that reminds you continually, my God is returning for me. And I'm going to continue living faithfully no matter what comes my way or who he puts in my life. I'm going to continue to love him and not let my love grow cold. That is focused faith that produces faithful living. I encourage you again on Sundays, 8.30, M5, ABF, Jim Mosier, Jennifer Mosier, and our lead team do a great job. So be there. Until then, we've got dessert. What's that? Oh, popsicles? Popsicles. All right, got popsicles. And put your, Brittany's going to put a basket at the, at the table back there. You can put your cards for our groups and sermon ideas, and have a great night. Love you guys.